You're listening to a podcast of New Covenant Church. Join us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. in Pompano. Good morning, good morning. It's good to see you today. Happy Palm Sunday. Welcome. If you're here with us in the room, we're so happy to see you. If you're joining us online, good for you to be with us too. Uh, my name is Adam. I'm the pastor here at the church, and I just want to say hey. It's good to see your faces. Um, we are going to be today in Ephesians chapter 6. If you need a Bible, there's Bibles in the chairs around you. There will be the scriptures up on the screen as well. If you have a device, whatever method you so choose to follow along, it's good to be in God's Word together. Um, man, thank you, worship team. It was just a tremendous morning so far. appreciate you so much. And I don't know if you guys recognized uh, the piano player that's Megan Fryer was back with us for a Sunday. She, uh, she's, yes, yes, Megan served with us for uh, an interim period um, a couple years ago, and uh, she's just become family to us, so so great to have her. Her with us. Um, and Easter, all the things about Easter are coming. Please, like Nikki said, invite friends, invite neighbors, invite loved ones. It's going to be an amazing service. Uh, it will be life-giving. It will be relevant. It will be, uh, there'll be food. So, you know, there's, there's always that. Uh, I just wanted to draw attention to a couple things before we go into God's Word, that um, yesterday we had just an amazing event. We had our spring block party out on the front lawn, and our, our, our team did just such an amazing job. I want to thank Sherry, Vera, and the rest of our team who put it together and made it, made it special. It was a great day. We had, um, I mean, a few hundred people out there, uh, lots of kids, lots of Easter egg hunts, lots of candy, and... Um, Hopefully you got a chance to experience our grand opening of, of the cafe in, in the back. And today uh, is half off all the drinks and free pastries and all that stuff. And so our team has been just working nonstop back there. So I want to thank Kelsey Jones and Tyler Jones for, for putting in such hard work. And then, of course, just our staff, um, Gerardo, our, our facilities uh, Man, I mean, he's, he's always doing so much, and uh, just the rest of the team, uh, you, you all know who you are. It's always bad when you start listing names, right? That's like the, the first rule, that don't do that because then you're going to forget. But everybody, we love, we're, we're so happy. Um, Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to be in verses 1 to 9. We're making our way through the book of Ephesians, and we're coming to the end next week is the end on Easter Sunday. This is what verse 1 through 9 says in chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Hearing a lot of parents like nudging, I told you, I told you. The pastor said, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves or bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whatever he, whether he is a slave or free, 
Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. This is God's word. Lord, take your word and use it to shape us, change us. As we've already experienced your your presence this morning, your truth, make this real to us and relevant to our lives today. We need you, Spirit of God, come in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, always one of the challenges with, <laughs> with preaching and uh, teaching the Bible and with a family that's typically present, you know, you, you, there, there's a lot of illustrations that often come up with, uh, you know, my kids, and so... As to not embarrass them, but also to use relevant information that comes from my life, I often <laughs> often bring them into the messages. Um, and also, one of the challenges is we we come to these passages of scripture that that are hard. And we talked about this last week about how there are moments, there are times when we just we cannot go around. We, we choose to walk ourselves through. A book of the Bible because we believe that uh, all of God's word needs to get in us so that we can learn and understand and grow. And so we get to certain passages that, that really challenge us. And so keep, keeping with bringing my children into um, illustrations, uh, you know, throughout, throughout their life, um, we have, you know, we have a healthy relationship where, especially with my boys, but I'd say also with my daughter, you know, there, there are periods where we, we tussle, we, we, you know, we play around, we fight, we, you know, all in good, safe, fun. <laughs> I feel like a lot of sound clips, you know, could be taken from this. Um, <laughs> but from early on, you know, as a good dad wanting to teach them biblical principles, I would, uh, <laughs> I would, as we would goof around and whatever, and to, to help them to know when it's okay to say, you know, it's too much or to stop. So it, the, the process had iterations over the years. There was a period where at times when, you know, I would inflict a measure of discomfort in our fighting, and they would be, they would be able to say something to, to signify dad stop. Now, I had the right in that moment to change the rules in, in the moment so that, you know, it's my place as father, but, you know, so it would go from maybe Mercy, like, you know, you remember that game Mercy we used to play, so sometimes my kids would come up, like, yeah, let's play Mercy, like, okay, um, and, and I, I, I taught them young, dad doesn't stop, like, dad doesn't, uh, dad doesn't let you win, um, but then there was, as it gradually progressed, you know, there'd be times when they would have to say the words tap, tap, as a and, you know, sometimes they couldn't tap their physical hands, so they could say the words tap, 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 and that means dad let go, things are going dark. <laughs> so tap, tap is a sign of submission, and it is a way that professional fighters and professional athletes, you know, that are in combat sports will signify when it needs to stop or else something is going to go badly, and of course, with the kids, it's always a lot of fun, but, um, well, for me, but, uh, tap, tap was, was the, uh, was the sound, was the words that needed to be spoken in order to, 
surrender, to submit. Submission is hard. And even with my kids, like, you know, they can be stubborn like me. And even though some measure of discomfort was, was upon them, they would not want to tap, tap. And so there's always a, a dilemma with the person inflicting some of that. Like, how, how far do you take this <laughs> to, in this battle of wills? And, of course, the goal is not to hurt my children but this has, you know, morphed into some, some fun games for us. This is the reality for us as humans. There, are, there is a call for us to engage in submission in life, in, di- in different categories, different times. And often we have, we hear this word, right, submission, and it, it just rides us all the wrong way. And we, we felt it last week as we were talking about husbands and wives and kind of how that plays into it. If you didn't listen to that, please go back and listen um, or watch. But submission is like, it is a part of life that needs to, to, to be embraced and welcomed and not to see it in the way that I just described, you know, where I have like, you know, my son's head in my arm and, you know, <laughs> squeezing it and saying, all right, this is, if you want it, if you want me to let go, you know what to do. Because that's, that's often how we see submission. We see it in this kind of difficult, rough, in a fight type of situation. And it really, it, it doesn't have to be that way. And so we, we need to reclaim the word. We need to reclaim a lot of words. But... We don't want to be afraid of this idea because it's in Scripture. It's all throughout the Bible. See, we have been, we have been studying the book of Ephesians. And the Apostle Paul, he wrote this letter. Spends a lot of ink early on, first few chapters. Really, chapters 1, 2, 3, pretty much chapter 4, telling us who we are, who we are in creation, how that God has made us, that he has saved us, that he has done an impossible work for us. And we were waiting, and we were waiting to hear him say, okay, now because of that, here's how you're going to live. Here's how it's going to impact your, your life, your relationships, your marriages, your work. And then we get to the part where it starts impacting our marriages, our relationships, and our work, and we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is is a lot. And it is a lot, but it's okay because we we don't want to run away from it. We want to embrace it. You know, we, we, we went through this period where he was telling us how to live generically in light of who God is to now how we're going to live specifically. He tells us, look, be imitators of God. Be imitators of me. Walk in love. Walk in love means I want you to live with a rhythm and a pace that is marked by progressive love towards the world around you. And as he tells us what life looks like specifically, he enters into the home. And sometimes we don't like God entering a home. (laughs) Because the home for us is a refuge. It's a place where we get away. It's like, all right, when I get done with church, I'm going home. No, I don't want any of this stuff. 
I'm going to go in my gate, go in my doors, lock all the locks, put my phone on silent. No one bother me, right? I can get an amen, right? Who's, who's there, right? Yeah. See, this is so interesting because the, the, the home was never like that. Culturally, throughout history, the home actually, especially in the context that we are reading into in first century Greco-Roman world, the home was actually a place where everything happened. It wasn't a place of refuge. It was actually a place of production. There's some amazing statistics about how at the end of the 1800s or in the 1800s, how the home was still a place where it produced the majority of the goods that it needed. And then by the 1900s, we're in the Industrial Revolution and after the Enlightenment, after all this stuff, now the home was a place where nothing was made, but it was a place to retreat to to get away from everybody. We have to keep looking at these cultural instances that, that teach us what we're reading into here. Because the household, Paul is writing to the household. We talked about that last week. He, he's writing to husbands and wives. And today we see him talking to family beyond husbands and wives, parents and children. And then to what I know is a controversial subject, slaves and masters. We're going to talk about that. But look, he goes to the core of society, where, which at that time would have absolutely been the core of society. And also, I believe it is still the core of society, the, the family unit, the home, the household. Churches would meet in homes. And it doesn't mean that that's what we have to go back to. I, I, this is wonderful, meeting together in person. But this is what was going on back then. The household was the core of Christianity. It's where Christianity was lived out. And so he's, he's taking us to the most basic place where the Christian life is played out. And we see this. He, he gives us this instruction. He says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a very tangible part of, of who God is. We see God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Father sends the Son to us uh, to, to save us, to die on the cross for us, to, to enter into Jerusalem uh, on Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago as, as the declared king. But the kingship meant he was going to go to the cross and die for his people. And then next Sunday we celebrate that resurrection that happens. And when he goes, then rises from the dead, then ascends into heaven. He says, I'm going to send the spirit of, of God to you. And that spirit is going to live in you. If you have faith in Christ, if, you have, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, then the spirit of God lives inside of you and that empowers you to live certain ways and it, and it empowers you to do what God has called you to do. And God cares about how you live. God cares about the things that you Give yourself to how you work, how you lead, how you follow, how you worship, what you do with your time, all the things he cares about. But it has to be rooted in understanding who God is. He says, be filled with the Spirit. And what the Spirit looks like, he tells us in, at the end of uh, uh, chapter 5, verses 18 to 21, Right? He says, be filled with the Spirit. He says, don't get drunk with wine, but this is what you're going to do. Be filled with the Spirit. And this is what it looks like to be filled. Speaking to each other in songs. Singing about God together. Giving thanks. 
And then he tells us this really important piece to that, of what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit, is to submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is a huge part, right? This is the the tap-tap moment (laughs) where God comes in and he's not you know, he doesn't have his boot to our head, you know, and saying, you need to submit. No, he's like, hey, I want you to see how much I have loved you and how much I have done for you. And because of that, you are going to want to submit to who I am and what I'm about. That's what he calls us to do. Submission's hard. I get it. For anyone. Because it means we have to let go of control. We have to let go of our preferences. We have to let go of power. We, we have to let go. It means humility. It means a lot from us to submit. But submission in different relationships in our life is a way that we show our relationship with God. It's a tangible way that we show who, whose we are, who we belong to. So... We ultimately submit our lives to God, and it plays out in our relationships. And so understanding healthy submission is going to impact everything, and it's going to make us better. Better spouses, better friends, better workers, better bosses, better parents. And that's what we get to look at today. We're going to get past the unhealthy expressions of submission. We want to get those out of our mind, the abuses that have come, because it is clear that's not the, the, the image that Paul or God gives us in Scripture about what submitting to God or one another looks like. And that actually learning godly submission is going to make us better leaders, better followers, better worshipers. And so we're going to look at that, how submission impacts how we lead, how we follow, And how we worship. How we lead, how we follow, and how we worship. Now, I'm trying to tackle a lot in these two weeks. Okay? So once again, as I said last week, I cannot say everything about these passages. I'm going to lump in a lot today. I lumped in a lot last week. We could spend weeks and weeks on these two sections. But I want to give us a framework for thinking about how God and the gospel shapes our leadership and it shapes how we follow and it shapes how we worship. And we're going to spend most of the time on this first one. So don't get nervous as it takes a really long time to get through the first point. How we lead. Fathers and masters. Two words that maybe already are like triggering. Yeah? Yes. I get it. There are cultural issues we have to deal with here, okay? Because we hear words that that start to mess us up, words that bring up all kinds of emotions. We hear things like slaves or bond servants. We we hear masters. Even the word father, for some, is is not a happy word. But there are bigger principles we need to pull out to help us understand what's going on here, to help us see a bigger picture of how we can live. See, it is so, so hard for us to understand their culture. And we talked a lot about that last week, about, about husbands and wives and marriages, like spent a lot of time defining cultural anomalies or differences that they experience versus what we experience today. 
See, we, we have to ask the question, why, does, why doesn't Paul call for the abolition of slavery here? Right? Those are questions that probably come up. Right, Paul, you had your chance. You had a letter here. Why not say this is, this is all wrong? Again, the cultural differences are, are vast, and it doesn't explain everything away, but I also mentioned last week how Paul's purpose in writing this letter, and really all the letters, was not to, to, to revolutionize the entire system of government, the system of life, but to revolutionize how we see ourselves within that system. And hopefully as the gospel comes in and awakens us to how we see the world around us, it then changes the system from the inside out. We, we I mean, I, I, I help with an organization that works a lot with the country of Haiti and the, and the approach that, that the founders of P4H Global, one of which is sitting here in the, in the audience, Priscilla, one of, the, one of the approaches, the approach is not to just go and give away a lot of stuff and like we're just going gonna, gonna to flood you with materials. No, it's like we're going to go to the inside and in, from, from the inside out, we're going to change through education, through understanding, through sustainable development, we're going to change this country. It's a much longer journey. Right? Now, when we talk about slavery here, it's hard for us not to think about the horrors of the Western slave trade in the 17, 18, 1900s. Right? Slavery, racism, I mean, it all comes into focus. And the generic term for this, this idea of slavery here uh, was used to describe several different situations. And you, you see how even the English translations try to soften the language at times because ours said slaves obey, but others say bond servants. There's, there's, a, there's a trying to get away from that word because of the connotations, at least in English, of what it means. Slavery was a huge piece of the Greco-Roman culture. It was not based on race, and it was not typically for a lifetime, unlike the slavery that we all are aware of. Usually, usually slaves were out, were done um, by the time they were 30. <clears throat> there was a legal distinction between owners and slaves, but persons in slavery, they didn't constitute a separate social economic class. Their, their, their social status, their economic opportunities, education, lifestyle, they were tied to their respective masters, to the status of their masters. So any call, if Paul would have come out in this letter, and this is, you know, we're, we're assuming a lot of things, but any call for Paul at this moment to say, all right, slaves, I want you to get together, you know, we're going we're gonna to revolt, we want to do away with this, it just would have fallen on deaf ears because it just was not this, it, it, it wouldn't have made sense in their culture. Sometimes rather than look for work, men or women in that culture, because Society was, was difficult. Uh, rather than try to have the uncertainty of finding work, they would actually offer themselves, sell themselves into a household so that there would be job security. So it gives a little more clarity into the slave master culture of the first century. Now, it's still, still not great. And what we see it morph into 
centuries down the road, was clearly wrong and evil and wicked and was why, even though there were Christians who participated in owning slaves and selling slaves, it was the Christians who came to the forefront and said, this is evil, this is wrong, this is wicked, and it needs to be abolished. And we see men like William Wilberforce in in the UK and how that happened there, and it translated eventually into change here. We don't want human slavery of any kind, especially what we see in the horrible race-based, violent, brutal, lifetime slave trade of the 18th through the 20th centuries. But putting some of that into context, it helps us to see what's going on here a little bit clearer with a little more understanding and context. The principles that we glean from the instructions to the household members relates to work. Parenting and work, family and work, husbands, wives, children, parents, bondservants, masters, family and work. Those are the two relationships that he's dealing with, especially in our section here, parents, kids, masters, and bondservants. The parent-child relationship wasn't great either back then. Parents owned their kids. They were seen as property. They own their children. So the culture Paul was speaking to and speaking into had so much room for growth, so much room for change, that it's actually so much more radical than we can understand. The fact that Paul even is addressing wives, children, and slaves is a sign and indication that he cared about the vulnerable because they were vulnerable. They were the most vulnerable, and they are the first ones mentioned in each of the sections. His, his idea was to change the hearts of the people involved in all this and so that there was clear instructions on how we as bosses act, how we as leaders act, how we as followers see the, the whole structure and how we see God's relationship to everything. The world is hard. It's difficult. We just prayed today for loss, death. Tragedy. We cannot escape all these things, but what we can do is have a framework and a paradigm of life and who God is to shape how we handle and view the stuff when it comes up. So he's telling fathers and masters how to lead in their roles. So for us to think in terms of parents and bosses, Anyone who holds leadership over other people, he's saying, listen up. Leadership is influence. John Maxwell says this. Every leadership guru in all the world says this. This is, this is like if you want to water down leadership to its basic principles, leadership is influence. We talk about that here. When we try to train you and raise you up to lead small groups or to lead ministries or to go through our discover track, we talk about this. Leadership is influence. Everyone has some measure of influence over someone else, and in a lot of ways, we all lead in different capacities. So how should we lead? And just like when we're dealing with a husband and wife relationship, we can get so caught up into the more vulnerable position. We hear words like submit, obey. We're like, ugh. (laughs) Change your word, Adam. Well, we can. Pick whatever word you want. 
The realities are there. We all live in relationships that are needing to submit to, to in various ways and at different times. I'm the pastor of this church. I am submitted to the elders of this church. And we have spirited conversations at times about what we should be doing and not doing as a church, how we should move to the next places. And I lead that group. I lead that team while at the same time submitting to our collective leadership, our collective stance before God and one another. And I hear horror stories about other I hear horror stories about other churches where the, the elders will abuse that authority and say, you work for me, pastor. You do. That would not, not go well. <laughs> Just kidding. The Bible always puts more emphasis and accountability on those who are in the stronger position. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. The strong always have the greater burden, responsibility, accountability to care for those who are in the weaker or more vulnerable position. Whether that position was created by a cultural context or physical context, when I'm wrestling around or goofing around with my kids, I have the burden to protect them and care for them because they are in the more vulnerable, weaker position. The burden falls on fathers and masters here. We see it. In a world where they had all the power and authority and control, the law was on their side. They could do whatever they wanted without fear of retribution. What does Paul say? I want you to lead with love, gentleness, and humility. He starts with the fathers. He says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Do not provoke your children to anger. What that word means, provoke, it means to infuriate. It means, <laughs> it means to make them perpetually, consistently angry. To exasperate, that's what another word used in the scriptures are. Look, the culture, again, was one of ownership, especially for fathers. It was take charge, show authority, exert your, who you are, let them know who's in charge. Paul says, just because you have the right legally to do what you want, the gospel changes the way you're going to parent and the way that you're going to lead. Dads, moms, you have the capacity to provoke your kids. To use the authority that's been given you in an unwise manner that, that will drive your kids to unhealthy anger. And God is warning us. And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. This, this is the problem with kids today. This is the problem with our generation. We can't even make them angry. going to go crying to DCF or crying away. They're too sensitive, too lazy, they're too weak. The problem with kids today is, and you fill in the blank, <laughs> there's a quote. Don't look at that one. Look over here. <laughs> this one will be fixed by next week, I promise. Youth today love luxury. 
They have bad manners, contempt for authority, no respect for older people, talk nonsense when they should work. Young people do not stand up any longer when adults enter the room. They contradict their parents, talk too much in company, guzzle their food, lay their legs on the table, and tyrannize their elders. You're like, yep, so kids, stinking kids. You know when that was written? You know who said it? Socrates. 400 years before Christ. People have been saying this a while. The whole kids today thing has been going on forever. I lived this, man. I was in a, I was in a, I went to military college, um, Charleston, South Carolina, and I went to one that was known for being one of the toughest, and I would say, I'm biased, the toughest in the country, and every class would rail on the upcoming classes as being weak and sensitive and lazy and disrespectful and all the things, and I did it as well, man. You'd see these kids come up like, you know, they're like a year younger than me. I'm like, you have no idea what I went through, what we went And every class was seen as the weaker class coming up, and it's going to ruin the school, and it's going to ruin this. And it just is ridiculous. It'll never end. See, and sometimes we have to take a look at our definitions of weak and lazy and sensitive and rebellious or whatever it is that you want to say and say, is that what's really happening? And if so, if that's the case, then how are we to change the culture? We can't just sit online and be like, kids today don't know what they're doing or the young people, the millennials, Gen Z or Gen Q or whatever it is. Like, we just, we just moan and complain. God's like, hey, you, there's leadership to be had. Lead. Change, like, your kids are out of control. You are a parent. Now, I understand. I'm a parent. We don't know what we're doing. (laughs) My wife and I, we're we're all over the place. I think I got great kids, but they got their problems. (laughs) Because we have our problems. But I'll say this. It is not for us. If you are a follower of Christ, or even if you don't know Jesus in here and you're just you know, learning a lesson on leadership. God calls us to lead, to be active in engaging the culture around us, not so that we can say, well, we're gonna, we have to change it from the top down. We have to, re- no, we have to lead in our homes. We have to lead in our churches, lead in our cities, lead around us. We need to lead by example. We need to be so uh, amazed about who God is and, and how he chose to come and lead us that it shapes everything that we do. Look, God gives us authority to lead in our different relationships, specifically as parents, but also in the workplace as bosses. You want to just complain about how your workers or how your peers around you just are, they don't come in on time, they don't, someone's letting all this happen. And I know it's a lot easier said than done, but we can use the authority God has given us to create culture that we want to see. Parents, fathers, mothers, your kids need you. They need you to lead in the home. This is your role. As you submit to God with your life, you must take the lead in the home and help your kids submit. Now, don't think scary, headlock, tap, tap, submit. Paul says, don't provoke your kids to anger. 
What do you think of when you hear this, right? I mean, we, again, we could be like, oh, don't make them angry. This is just what I'm talking about. Can't take any discipline in the home. They're too sensitive. They don't, we don't want to make them angry. It can't mean that, right? Because Paul is not writing to this softer, weaker, kinder, gentler, first century <laughs> place going like, you know, you need to just abandon disciplining or caring for your kids. No, he doesn't mean that. It, it, it means don't make them consistently angry. Do you know how to provoke your kids to anger? Here's how you do it. You over-discipline or you under-discipline? You over-discipline in, in an abusive, harsh, uh, angry, inconsistent way that, that drives humiliation, erratic behavior. That's not leadership. That's not healthy discipline, and that will provoke your kids. If you don't have kids or you're not a boss, understand this, this applies so much of what we do and how we live. But if you, if you want to talk about the other side of provoking kids to anger, under-disciplining, over-indulging, when we don't take discipline seriously, we're too afraid of their being angry at us or their disapproval, and we just let them do whatever they want. They run the show. They run the house. They speak however way they want. This will also provoke them to anger. Do you know why? Because one day they are going to be in an environment where, where their boss or coworkers will not be as nice as you were. And they will, they will go, why didn't anybody tell me the world was like this? Why didn't anybody tell me what discipline looked like? What do you do instead? What he says. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Look, this was so radical back then and also for us. It's a culture-breaking instruction. Back then, it was all about discipline. Now, you know, it's like don't do any discipline and just love and nurture. And, you know, your job as a parent is just to let them become whoever they want to be. And don't inflict, don't put your views on your kids. Discipline is important and love is important. But the purpose of love and discipline is to bring them up in the Lord. You know what that means? In the Lord, it means that we are teaching them that there is, a, there is definite right and wrong. There is truth and there's error. There's life and there's death. God cares about that. There is a reality that comes with knowing who God is, that he, he teaches us absolute morals. There is absolute truth. There is right and wrong. To bring them up in the Lord means to teach them the difference between these things. And so much of our culture is wanting to take the role of parents off the parents' shoulders and put it somewhere else, in courts, in schools, in government. But also, as parents, can I just talk to you parents still? Sometimes we are giving it up. We're giving up our role to others. Saying, man, I just can't wait till they get to school. They'll take care of them. They'll, they'll help them. They're not going to bring them up. You're called to bring them up. If you're giving them over to just non-stop activity on TikTok and YouTube and Instagram and Snap and all the things. Someone else is bringing up your kid.
Sometimes you give them to us. You're like, fix them, please. The church is not meant to be that. We want to help you as parents. We want to come alongside of you. We'll take them. I doubt we're going to fix them. It's okay to teach your children to obey you if it's in the Lord. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. I mean, that is, that is leadership and it applies to more than just the family. And I've spent so much time here, I know, but the principles translate over as well as the, the specific instructions to masters. Look, he says, masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening. I'm going to call the team up. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Look, Paul just finished telling servants to obey their masters in this way. He says, look, with a sincere heart, not with eye service, not as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good heart as to the Lord and not to man. Paul is telling masters, I just told the people who work for you to, to act this way. Masters, you do the same. It's mutual submission. It's not, masters aren't going to just stop being the boss. But how they lead and guide and direct is so important. If you are a parent, if you are a boss, if you are a worker that oversees anybody, if you are just a human being who has any influence over another human being, this is what we want to see. This is how we want to think and live and act as leaders. He says, stop threatening Don't be abusive. Create a safe working environment because you're first serving and submitting to God. And the same way that you submit to God, everything that you're wanting from your people is what you're supposed to be giving to God. So lead well. And I told you, I was going to spend too much time on the first one. But I think it's so important because how we understand leadership, how we understand this concept of being the one in the stronger position will dictate and influence how we follow when we're not in that position. We can have expectations for the workplace. We can have expectations for the home. We can have expectations for how we relate to one another. When we submit to God, we learn that our life is spent following him and often following others. And he tells both children and servants to obey, but he uses this phrase in two different times, in the Lord or as to the Lord. Here's the the principle. When we follow humans, we are actually following Christ. Now, if they're leading us in an ungodly way that's causing us to disobey God, causing us to do something that's against the Bible, then yes, we have to stand up and take a stand for those who can't stand for themselves. And we, we get involved in that. But let's just... Bring it close to our home for a second and just say, just because I don't like my boss doesn't mean I don't follow them. Just because I don't like my parents right now doesn't mean I should just ignore them and do whatever I want to do. There are going to be times when we need to obey or submit to someone, and it is hard, and God will 
be with you because you see him as the one you're really serving and submitting to. Even for adult children, he says, honor your mother and your father. Right? He's not talking to adult children to say, obey your parents. That, that changes once you get older. But even as adults, we, we're to honor our parents, honor our mother and our father, show respect. And it's so hard no matter what stage of life you're in. But even for the strongest of us who have the strongest wills, we can submit because we are ultimately not submitting to humans. We are submitting to God. We're told that Jesus submitted to everything that the Father wanted, everything the Father told him to do, even to the point of death on the cross. Jesus was in submission. We would not say he's a doormat, he's weak. We'd say no. He modeled for us what it looks like in our various relationships to submit. When that gets abusive, improper, incorrect, no. Things change. It's not easy, but it's all connected to our worship. When we talk about how we worship, how we lead, how we follow are both a sign of who we worship and how we worship. If we worship things other than God, if we're worshiping money, success, significance, making a name for ourselves, if, that, if those are the, the centers of our life, then everything, how we lead is gonna, is gonna be influenced by that. And I will, I will make sure everything in my life, my children, my workers, my peers, if all I care about is success or care about money, if you're getting in the way of me making money, I'm going to lead poorly or I'm gonna follow poorly. If you are uh, an obstacle to my success, if you're an obstacle to my respect. It's going to lead to abusive leadership. It's going to lead to abusive followership or ineffective following. All I'm going to care about is if my kids behave or not, because when they misbehave, it's not because I care about you know, their future. It makes me look bad. That's not good. That's Idolatry, that's worshiping something other than Christ. It all comes down to what and how we worship. If God's at the center of my worship, if he's the one who I'm trying to please, then no matter how much I'm getting paid, no matter what the next promotion is, no matter what significance I think I have in this world, I will submit just to him and where he leads me and the decisions he makes. And so much of this is lived out and practiced right here in church community. You get to see how I parent. I get to see how you parent. I get to see how you lead your organization. I get to see how you work for an, an unhappy boss. I get to help you. You get to help me. We get to counsel each other. Like when we just are off on our own doing our own thing, it is, it leads to all kinds of bad things. Let's stand together, church. We have been given an example of a God who came to us to seek us out, to love us, who was ruler over our entire universe, yet came to not be served, but to serve. 
That's the model for us, for you and me. We are here, put on this, life, on this planet to serve him and to serve one another. Do you see that? Do you embrace that? Or are you just living to be served by others? Because if you're living to just be served by others, your view of submission is going to be way out of whack. It's going to be abusive and it's going to cause devastation. If you see your life as one of service to others and to God, then you are going to submit gladly to others in your life. You're going to be someone others can submit to without fear. Put your faith in Christ. It's your, it's your step one. Trust him. This takes courage to live like this. This takes faith. You need, to, you need to come underneath and submit your life to the creator of the universe and say, I need you and I want to trust you for all these things. And it will take courage and faith. And God, I ask you right now that you would give us that faith. Give us that courage to trust you, to not trust how we are viewed by one another, how we are viewed by man, but that our lives are submitted to not making our name great, but to making your name great. You have given us life and breath and a voice and a mind and a heart and a physical body to be used to love you and to love each other. God, I pray for the parents in this room that you would help them, Lord. So hard. Give them faith to trust you, to believe you for the health and well-being of their children. God, I pray you would bring the children of this church under the authority of their parents in a healthy, God-honoring way. I pray for all those who are bosses in here, who, who in many essence are masters in the sense that they, they run a company, they run an organization, they lead other people, that you would give them wisdom to lead well, to lead in humility and gentleness, to not try to take it by force. And for those of us who is everyone who follow in some measure, God, to follow you more than we follow others and to trust you more than we trust what we see in front of us, God, for your glory and our joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing.